Let's open up our Bibles to Nehemiah chapter 10 if you have a copy of God's Word. I brought my book. I hope you brought yours. If you didn't, we got, uh, we got it printed on the screen for you. But uh, we're going to be looking at Nehemiah chapter 10 together in God's Word this weekend. I want to start by asking you a question. Are there times in your life that you wish you could get back? You know, I think all of us, to some extent, could say, yeah, about the last year. Amen? I mean, I must literally, this week was a year since we've been going through this mess. And I, I don't even hardly ever verbalize, you know, I don't use that word of the virus. I hear it so much, I just say stuff. We're going through stuff. Amen? This situation that we're in, I think all of us would say, we wish we could have that back, even though God's still been at work in the midst of that. That's not exactly what I'm talking about. I'm talking about maybe years of your life where you were going down the wrong path. Or decisions that you made in your life that you wish you could get back. If we live long enough, that's going to be inevitable, isn't it? We're going to have moments, we're going to have periods, we're going to have decisions that we wish that we could get back. But listen, friends, listen, but then there comes times when God meets us in those moments. Amen? I'm going to tell you what, if God's changed your life, it should have been louder than that. There are periods in our life, there are decisions that we wish with all of our hearts that we could go back and do different. But praise God that He comes in those moments and speaks to our hearts. By His grace, He calls us. He speaks to us. He maybe surprises us, right? Maybe we weren't looking for Him. Maybe we were running from Him and He calls us to turn to Him. Listen, He calls us to get more serious about our relationship with Him. As we open up God's Word together this weekend and turn to Nehemiah 10, this is kind of the story that we're seeing unfold in this passage. There's a group of people, a large, a very large group of people. We could really say a nation. Get a, get a glimpse of a nation coming to God all at once. That's what we need, amen? But there's a large group of people that had once followed God as a people, as a nation. But they had gotten far from the Lord and now He's working in their lives. He's speaking to them. Never get amazed that God speaks to you. He doesn't have to. The Bible says that God does not owe us anything. I'm so glad that He wants to. Amen? He could just say, go, have at it. If you want, just go. Do what you want. But the Lord loves us so much that He comes and He speaks to us. He's calling them. And finally, they're ready to get serious about their relationship with the Lord. That's what we're going to observe as we study God's Word together this weekend in Nehemiah chapter 10, verses 30 through 39. We're going to talk about getting serious about God. Is that where you're at right now? Is that what God is doing in your life right now? As I talk to many people, listen, your pastors get on our knees right here every single day during the week, and we pray for that. We pray that God is doing what we think He's doing. Amen? 
That there's not just one or two of us. There's a bunch of people, it seems like, that are ready to get serious about their relationship with the Lord. And listen, for you, it might not be from a place of mistakes. It might not be from a place of moving away from the Lord or major problems. God just might be calling you to a new stage of growth, to some new steps in your spiritual walk. For whatever the reason might be, He's calling you to get more serious about Him. As we think about that together in Nehemiah 10, I want to back up for just a moment to chapter 9 for just a few moments. Remember last week, we talked about responding to God. We talked about, as somebody said as I was walking up, did you bring the book? We talked about that these people had moved away from God's Word, the Bible, for generations For about 150 years, these people had not truly sought the Lord as a people. And we talked about God speaking to them. We talked about the importance of God's Word. Then last week we talked about responding to that. It's not just enough to listen to messages. God wants it to do something in our lives. And we saw that response spill over into Nehemiah chapter 9. I mentioned to you... They continued seeking the Lord. They continued responding to the Lord. They continued repenting, which means they were sorry for the mess their life had gotten into. And they wanted God to change it. They continued worshiping the Lord, seeking Him, praying to Him. And now after a few weeks, they continue to show that they are genuinely serious about this. By the way, if last week, You genuinely responded to the Lord. Congratulations for coming back. Amen. There's something to that. 24 days later, these people say it wasn't just a one-time thing. It wasn't just a one-moment thing, a one-day thing. God has spoken to us. This is for real. And so they have this extended prayer of confession In Nehemiah 9, but as that prayer wraps up, they really say two things to the Lord. In verses 33 and 34, they say, Lord, we know we've messed up. But listen, with what we're about to read here in just a moment, they say, but God, we commit to change. We don't like where we've been. And we're serious about it being different. Look at Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 38, as we're leading into Chapter 10. Now, because of all this, they say, we are making an agreement in writing. And on the sealed document are the names of our leaders, our Levites, and our priests. Friends, they are serious about God. You start putting something down in writing, you're getting serious. Amen? I am willing to sign my name to it. They were saying, as we've said all throughout the book of Nehemiah, there's something about being counted. Look over here. Robbie, I'm over here. I want to follow the Lord. I don't want to hide. And listen, there's room to warm up to God's work in your life. I don't mean that. But at some point, what? We got, we got, to, we got to make the decision. Amen? Just like Kaylee did. I'm, I'm staking my claim. I'm putting my flag in the ground. I've been thinking about this. I've been learning about this. But now I want to be counted. I want to point out a couple of other things before we move on 
to chapter 10, they are basically making what the Bible calls a covenant. In fact, though the normal word for covenant is not used, some of the same kind of wording is used in verse 38. They said we are making, actually, literally it says we are cutting a binding agreement in writing. Now, why is that important? I don't mean to be gross, but in a covenant, there would have been an animal sacrifice. An animal would have been killed. And the two parties would have walked between those body parts and said, may God do the same to me if I don't follow through on this promise I'm making. That's kind of serious, amen? That's getting serious. Also, the mention of this document being sealed also indicates the solemnness of this, the seriousness of this. It would be like us having a piece of paper down front here and we call everybody to come forward. If God is speaking to your heart, if you've made a decision, write down, God has spoken to me. We just had a phrase at the top. God has spoken to me with places for you to sign and you sign your name and we seal that. What does that seal say? I'm not intending to change what I said. Amen? I'm not going to go back after all you guys are gone and erase my name. We're going to seal this thing. I really mean it. Listen to this. I love pointing out to you guys how biblical amen is. Amen? Listen to this. The word that is used here for the agreement they made, it actually is related to the word amen. Listen. So actually what these people are saying is amen. I agree with this idea. I support this verbally. But listen, I am signing my amen. I like that. Amen? Are you willing to put your amen in writing? Wow. Wow. Hey, as much as I love to hear you guys verbally respond to what God's saying in the message as He speaks to your hearts, that's different, isn't it? That's not in my chair. I'm verbalizing something. That's a step for sure. But this is making it much more what? Serious. Are you willing to put your signature on that amen? You know, many of us struggle with making commitments like that. Especially spiritually. There are many people that would say, why do we have to get married? It's just a certificate people say why do i have to join a church y'all know i'm on board why do i have to say that or can't i just commit uh, to being available why do i have to commit to serving in some particular area of ministry y'all just let me know if you need my help friends there's something godly about being counted maybe we could say being counted on well, let's just be real Ask the bank if they'll just take your word for it. Amen? Don't just say, I promise I'll pay it back. The bank says you're going to have to sign for that. Right? Because what does that say? That says, I really mean it. In fact, I guarantee if you were at the bank and you were planning on just saying, I promise. And they said, no, no, Mr. Langford. You can't have it until you sign it. I'd pause for a second, right? Because when I was saying it, I might have been holding something back. But once I sign it, 
I sign my amen. I'm serious. Friends, all of that is building up to what we're talking about together this weekend in chapter 10. These people are making commitments. They are saying we are serious about the Lord. In chapter 10, verse 1, it says, Now on the sealed document were the names of Nehemiah the governor. He was the first one. He said, I'll lead by example. I'll sign my name. The son of Hakaliah and Zedekiah and a bunch of other people. They all signed. All those leaders signed. Then in chapter 10, verse 28, it says, Now the rest of the people, the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, the temple servants, and all those who had separated themselves from the peoples of the land to the law of God, their wives, their sons, their daughters, all who had understanding are joining with their kinsmen, their nobles, and are taking on themselves a curse and an oath to walk in God's law, which was given through Moses, God's servant, and to keep and to observe all the commandments of God our Lord and His ordinances and His statutes. What's happening here is we are seeing a people who have been far from God now take some real steps of commitment. And that actually leads us into chapter 10. Because they make, starting in verse 30, they begin to make some specific commitments that I believe the Lord wants to use to challenge us. The first one is this. Write this down. They made a commitment to purity. Write that down if you're taking notes. These people are saying, we're signing on the line, but they don't want to be generic about it. They make some very specific commitments. The first one was a commitment to purity. Now, when I say purity, you might take that initially as meaning sexual purity. Maybe in some ways it does relate to that, but it's really bigger than that. Let's read chapter 10, verse 30. So they said, we commit, in chapter in verse 29, to keep and to observe all the commandments of God our Lord, His ordinances, statutes, what we just read, but in verse 30, and that we will not give our daughters to the peoples of the land or take their daughters for our sons. Let me explain what is being said here in this verse. This is not meant to say that they were saying we commit not to marry any other ethnicities. Friends, I don't see that anywhere in the Bible. But what it is saying is this. All throughout the Old Testament, God had called His people to stay close to Him. To have a close relationship with Him. And part of the reason for that is because He wanted to bless them. He said, walk closely with me, obey me, listen to me, follow me, serve me, and your life will be blessed. But another huge part of that was because God had chosen them as a special people so that He could work in their lives and so that the rest of us who aren't Jewish would see God working in their lives and want to give our lives to Him as well. They had been blessed in order to be a blessing to the rest of the world. But listen to this. Unfortunately, many times they wouldn't do that. And the reason they did not do that, listen friends, is because they got involved. They got married is what's being talked about here. They had families together with people who did not follow him. Who did not know him. Who did not serve him. And as a result of that, they themselves moved far away from God. And instead of influencing the peoples of the world to give their lives to God, 
they were influenced to move away from the Lord and they stopped being a witness as His people to the rest of the world. For believers today, the New Testament expresses it like this. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. Do not be bound together with unbelievers. For what partnership... We often talk about partnership around here. Membership means partnership. We're working together. We got some goals for, for God that we're working together. He says, what partnership has righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? Or what harmony has Christ with Baal? Or what has a believer in common with an unbeliever? Or what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. I'm going to stop right there. But you can read down the rest of that that he says to them through verse 18. What God is saying there is that as believers, he wants us to walk with him and not to get too closely connected, hitched up with or teamed up with someone who is pulling in another direction and is following other gods. If you just want it straight, believers should not marry unbelievers. I actually believe the Lord's saying more than that. Listen to me. And I think this principle would help us. Many Christians think when they're ready to get married, they think, oh, are you a believer? Yes, good. I'm a believer. Yes, cool. We're good. You know the principle that's really being said here? It's not really as straight as that. It's not just saying believers should not marry unbelievers. It's saying when you get married, you should be pulling in the same direction. Hey, that means sometimes two believers don't need to get married because they're not going in the same direction. Listen, young people, God is calling you to not join your life together with someone who does not know Him or follow Him. Believers only marry someone who is in a growing personal relationship with the Lord. God's calling His children to purity. They're saying, God, we care about our relationship with you. We care the direction of our lives. We care if we're representing you to the rest of the world. We want the rest of the world to see you through us. And after centuries of not doing that, now they're saying, Lord, we will do that. Is God calling you to that kind of seriousness? Young person, are you beginning to hang around other people who don't honor the Lord? If you are, you're already starting to lose your distinct testimony, aren't you? It's inevitable. It's inevitable. Listen, listen, don't misunderstand, especially if you're a guest here today. Let me share something with you. Don't misunderstand. The Bible tells us, the Bible does not say that Christians should separate from the rest of the world in that sense. The Bible says that we should be different so that the rest of the world will be drawn to Christ. But there's no way that we can share Christ if we don't have relationships with people who don't know the Lord. That's not what's being said here. It's talking about hitching up together, teaming up together too tightly with someone who is not going in the same direction. Young person, when you're picking the person to spend the rest of your life with, think about that. But even before that, the friends that you hang out with so much. Adults, what about you? Have you started dating an unbeliever? Are you considering marrying someone who does not love the Lord? Who does not even know the Lord? People often say, well, I could lead them to Christ. Sure. 
You could lead that person to Christ. Listen, I'm not meaning this to sound ugly, but I want to challenge you. Is your compromised version of following Christ going to be that compelling? Really? Marriage is not God's plan for leading people to Christ. That's a big gamble. It was not God's intention that we marry people so that they will later come to Christ. Praise God. Listen, and by the way, if you are already married to an unbeliever, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 7, stay married, pray, be a good example, and do everything you can to lead your spouse to Christ. So yes, obviously we can make that impact. But it's talking about on the front end of that. As all believers, stay pure in your relationship with God and be careful about teaming up together too closely with others who don't know the Lord. Because if you do that, you're going to stop being an impact for the Lord. And what God's people are saying in this passage is, we see that, Lord. Listen, we have compromised. And as a result of that, we have lost our impact in this world. A commitment to purity, but also they made a commitment to priorities. Write that down. They made a commitment to make God a priority in their life. Now, I often say when we talk about what we're going to talk about next, that for many of us, this is so unfamiliar to us. We've never heard of it. We've never lived like this before, that it's almost like Pastor Robbie's from Mars. Okay, I've never heard of this before. I don't know how to do this. I'll show you why it's important here in just a moment. Let's go back to Nehemiah chapter 10, verse 31. They said, Lord, we make a commitment to, to not team up together too closely with those who don't know you and thus begin to dilute our ability to walk with you and to make an impact for you. But then in verse 31, as for the peoples of the land who bring wares, who bring products, or any grain on the Sabbath day to sell, we will not buy from them on the Sabbath or a holy day, and we will forgo the crops the seventh year in the exaction of every day. Now what's being talked about here is the idea of the Sabbath. Some of us are familiar with the Sabbath idea in terms of a weekly Sabbath idea, but not so much that every seven-year one. Let's talk about both. First of all, the weekly Sabbath. For them, the seventh day of the Sabbath was Saturday. On that day, God told them to make that day special. So what they said is, we're no longer going to buy from the merchants who come to our town. By the way, this is probably evidence that they were already trying to skirt around God's laws. They were not selling on the Sabbath, but they would let other people come. And well, they just happen to be around, so we will do business on Sabbath, but it's not our fault. That's kind of where they were sort of compromising. They said, we're no longer going to do that. What about the every seven year Sabbath principle? God had told them every seven years, let the fields rest, lie fallow, and forgive any debts that people have against you. God was providing for grace, for forgiveness, for the opportunity for a new start, where people wouldn't be in generational poverty kind of situations unnecessarily. Now that every seven year one seems to be a nation of Israel focus. Okay, so God's not saying if somebody owes you money every seven years, you got to forgive it. Okay, because we didn't plan on that in our budget. (laughs) It seems to be a nation of Israel focus for a reason, though, right? 
for an emphasis on grace and forgiveness. So that's a good principle. But the weekly one is what I want to focus on. That seems to be a general principle that God started from... Okay, now I'm talking as the Mars guy, right? Because who does this, right? But God established at creation the idea of a Sabbath day. And actually, it's in the Ten Commandments. If we want to say the Sabbath is just an Israel thing, well, why aren't the rest of the Ten Commandments just an Israel thing, right? So there must be something there that God wants for all of us. Maybe not in a practice everything that Israel did kind of way, but as a general principle. In fact, the early church very clearly went from Saturday to what? To Sunday. You see some evidence for that in the New Testament, the early church. Because Jesus rose on the first day of the week. But the point is, God designed, this is the point, for each of us to take one out of seven days and treat it differently. And they were getting serious about that. We could really say that they were getting serious about priority. We have busy lives, don't we? We have a lot of things to do, a lot of things going on. But because we love the Lord, because His work is a priority in our lives, we say, God, we are so serious about you. We're going to devote one day a week to you and to your work. Remember I said I was going to sound like I was from Mars, but listen, actually, you remember how I said over the last few weeks, then the 16, 17, 1800s major revivals spread across the Northeast. Do you know one of the things that came out of the major revivals? The blue laws. Have you ever heard those before? The blue laws. Those are really Sunday, Sabbath kind of laws. They change. Listen, shouldn't we pay attention to that? Here's believers in the, in the Old Testament, in God's Word. Here's believers in our area a couple hundred years ago that said, because God is working in our lives, we're going to make Him more a priority. In our house, we've mostly worshipped weekend worship on Saturday nights. Why do we do that? Well, Pastor Adam shared at the beginning of the service, right? On Easter weekend, we're going to have three services. We're going to, so what we're going to do, we're not, the Saturday service could really just kind of stay the same. But if we do that, there won't be room. So what we're saying is we're going to make adjustments so that other people can come and be involved as well. Well, our family did that years ago when we went from Sundays to also Saturday services. Our family, and also because of youth group and just different things, our family started worshiping together on, at weekend worship on Saturday nights. But we still often serve Together on Sundays. We rest in some measure on Sunday. I never take a nap. I'm too nosy. I'm too nosy. I want to know what's going on. But the one day of the week that I consider taking a nap, if I do take a nap, will be, guess what? Oh, Sunday afternoon naps are the best. Amen? Listen, we try not to do laundry. We try not to mow the grass to wash the cars to clean the garage, unless we truly consider that fun and relaxing. And I don't think any of those were in that category. 
Maybe some days it's fun. I don't know. We spend family time together. We have fun together. You could say it like this. Sundays are for faith, family, and fun. But don't miss what that faith part means. Sundays are for worship. They're for seeking the Lord. They're for serving the Lord. They're for sharing the Lord. They're for helping other people, for studying God's Word, for sharing Jesus with people. And by the way, when those world merchants had come to the Jewish people and knocked on the newly made, uh, um, what do you call it, wall, and said, hey, we're back, and they said, oh, sorry, we don't do that on Saturdays, their Sabbath, wouldn't that have been a witness? Why don't y'all buy on Saturdays, on the Sabbath? Well, because God's a priority. And we let the land rest on this day. Wouldn't that have been a witness? A couple more things I want to say about this. We do, listen, when I said Sundays are for faith, family, and fun, some of you really like that last one, right? We need to be careful that the focus ought to be really on that first one. Even if you come to weekend worship with your church family on Saturday. By the way, the Sabbath started at sundown, so you're good. It's Sunday. All right. But no, it's not that you have to come to church on Sunday. It's about giving God a special focus on that day, right? So let's make sure that that is our priority. Because listen, often we're in a hurry about the worship so we can go have the fun. We often told our kids, hey, if you've got a baseball game on Sunday, if it's after about 1 o'clock, we're good to go. We're going to come to church. We're going to worship the Lord. Listen, and we're not even going to run out of the service. We're going to have time to talk to people, to visit, to, to minister, to encourage people. We're going to be leisurely. Listen, we weren't crazy. I guarantee if you ask my kids right now, they probably don't even know some of this. Because we weren't like drilling down on this. But hopefully we led by example and said... We're gonna, we, sure, we can have some fun on that restful day, but God's going to get our focus. Amen? Not the fun thing. In fact, some of those blue laws were really very tight about that because people would often jump to the fun instead of the faith part. Again, those Sabbath specifics of Israel are not for us, but it does seem to be an important principle. In fact... As I've read God's Word through the years, it's amazed me how much the Sabbath... If you read the Old Testament, it's amazing how much God uses that as an indicator of how serious people are about Him. About how much of a priority we're making Him. Ezekiel chapter 20, verses 19 through 20, He said, I am the Lord your God. This is one of many examples. I am the Lord your God. Walk in my statutes and keep my ordinances and observe them. Sanctify my Sabbaths. And they shall be a sign between me and you that you may know that I am the Lord your God. It must be a pretty powerful thing to say, Lord, we're setting aside today to show this day's different because we love and follow you. And we don't just see it in the Old Testament. We see it alluded to in the New Testament and in church history. Jesus rose on Sunday. That's Resurrection Day. They talk, it talks about 1 Corinthians, about setting aside our giving on the first day of the week, when John received the revelation in, in, in the book of Revelation, he was in the Spirit on, it says, the Lord's Day. Again, the early church seemed to give that 
that new covenant, Jesus rose from the dead, it's the first day of the week. Listen, so don't be bound to specifics, but let it teach us priority. Amen? If I'm serious about God, I'm going to make Him a what? A priority. God is using the Sabbath to teach them and us about making Him a priority. Now, before we move on, people often ask, well, let's just be real. What if I have to work on Sundays? All right? Since the New Covenant doesn't seem to push those Old Testament specifics, I suppose you could move that to another day. But my question is, will you? Really, in practice. Am I going to make Thursday a day to focus on God? Maybe, theoretically, but will it ever happen? Probably not. So listen, I just try to start with this. Let's do our best to make it Sunday and go from there. If it's not working out, don't feel bound by rules and regulations. Do you hear that? Don't feel bound by rules and regulations, but still don't miss the opportunity to trust the Lord and make Him a priority. Young people, when you start a job, just go ahead and tell them up front. I don't want to work on Sundays. And our world is so scared of offending somebody, most of the time bosses say, sure, go to church. Often, I shouldn't say most of the time, but often bosses will say that. I think Christians many times don't give the Lord the opportunity to work. Just trust Him and step out. And by the way, be their best worker, and they'll work with you a whole lot more. Really, truly, Christians, we ought to be the best worker our boss has. And often, listen, I tell my kids, you show up, you don't talk back, and you do what they ask you to do, and you're going to be an all-star after about a week. And then, if you're not very impressive, if you just keep doing what they told you to do, you're going to know more than most people, and you are going to actually be impressive at some point. Amen? And then you'll get a lot more consideration for doing things like that. We're talking about getting serious about God. Friends, listen. If it stays in our head, if it stays in our sentiment, but never gets down in our real life, what good is it? Amen? God wants us to stay pure, close to Him, not diluting what He's wanting to do in our lives by closely aligning ourselves with those who aren't following Him. Doesn't mean not being friends. Doesn't mean not relating to, but it's talking about, hey, marriage is a pretty close relationship, right? He's talking about priority. The Sabbath. They said it. God didn't even ask them to do it. They offered it because they knew that God had given that kind of instruction before. Lord, we want to begin making that day special because you are a priority. But the last thing is a commitment to provision. Write that down if you're taking notes. A commitment to purity, a commitment to priority, but they're getting serious about provision. What are we talking about here? Well, let's put it this way. You know your relationship with God is getting real when He affects your time and your money. Amen? Now we're getting real. Look at Nehemiah chapter 10. Verses 32 through 39. They said this. They offered this to the Lord. We also placed ourselves under obligation to contribute yearly one-third of a shekel for the service of the house of our God. Notice that phrase over and over again. 
for the showbread, for the continual grain offering, for the continual burnt offering, the Sabbath, the new moon, for the appointed times, for the holy things, for the sin offerings, to make atonement for Israel and all the work of the house of our God. Likewise, we cast lots for the supply of wood among the priests, the Levites and the people, so that they may bring it to the house of our God, according to our father's households, at fixed times annually to burn on the altar of the Lord our God, as it is written in the law. And that they might bring the first fruits of our ground and the first fruits of all the fruit of every tree to the house of the Lord annually. And to bring to the house of our God the firstborn of our sons and our cattle and the firstborn of our herds and our flocks as is written in the law for the priests who are ministering in the house of our God. We will also bring the first of our dough, our contributions, the fruit of every tree, the new wine and the oil to the priests at the chambers of the house of our God. And the tithe of our ground to the Levites, for the Levites are they who receive the tithes in all the rural towns. Again, there he just goes on talking about the tithes, but he gets down to the end of it. He says, there, the priests who are ministering, the gatekeepers and the singers, thus we will not neglect the house of our God. What's being said? These people, previously through a man named Zerubbabel and through Ezra, had rebuilt the temple and got its work going again. Through Nehemiah, they had rebuilt the wall and finished that job to strengthen and protect the city so that they could move on together in strength. And now, listen, they needed to know. We've done all this repair work, but what's it going to take to get this thing going and to keep it going? In order for God's work, God's house to work, we're going to need to provide some things now and on into the future. How do we see that happening? Specifically, they made some yearly commitments to give a certain amount to the temple. They felt this is how much is going to be needed for that. They made some rotating commitments. Listen, let's just get real. In order to have sacrifices that you burn on an altar, you got to have wood. Who's going to bring the wood? Right? Hey, isn't it kind of interesting to see they had sign-ups in the Old Testament? Amen? They did. They had rotations. Hey, no one person can do all this stuff. There's a lot of us. Let's divide it up and we'll make sure that this gets done. They committed their first fruits offering. Now listen, this is important. I know there's some details here, but there's meaning to these details. This was a way to provide, but also, again, a way to show that God is a priority. Here's what they're saying. When our crops come in, the first fruit that we pick, we're going to offer to the Lord. That's faith, isn't it? That's faith. Because we don't know if we're going to get any more. We're going to trust God that if we give Him the first and we give Him the best, that we will get more fruit later than we would have gotten without that. Amen? It's getting serious, isn't it? They committed to bring tithes of all that God gave them. The first 10%. Again, isn't it priority? Isn't it faith? I recognize that I wouldn't have a dime without God. So I'm going to take off the top 10%, give back to the Lord so His work can be strong in this world. And I'll trust that God can do more in my life through 90% than I can do with 100 By the way, many people today just limit our giving to tithing. We're glad to sort of stop there. 
But have you ever noticed we talk about our tithes and offerings? Have you ever noticed that? We don't just say tithes because in the Bible it wasn't just tithes. Tithes was a standard that God gave for us to think of. When I receive, I want to give back to the Lord at least a tithe to Him. But it's not limited to that. There were many free will offerings throughout God's work. So what we see here is there were a lot of materials that were needed to run the temple, to, to have sacrifices and to do God's work. And they were committed that that would be done well because they were serious about the Lord and His work. By the way, I mentioned that phrase, house of God or house of our Lord appears in every verse. In verses 32 through 39. What does that phrase mean? It means the temple. But more generally, it means the place from which God is working. They said, look at verse 39. We will not neglect the place from which God is working. Just so we're clear, what is that today? It's the church. It's us, the body of Christ, right? This is where God does His work from. Friends, listen, this is why we want this to be beautiful. Amen? We want this to be well-oiled, functioning well. By the way, it's not just money. That also means we don't argue. We, we don't have church garbage. Amen? We want the world to see what God's doing over here and say, man, those people are for real. And that looks pretty nice over there. What kind of God is He? Amen? That's exactly what these people were doing. Someone pointed out from this passage, it's clear that God's work was never intended to be supported by a wealthy few. This is what someone said. There's nothing remotely optional about supporting God's work. Everyone was expected to give in one form or another. Everyone would benefit from God's work so everyone obviously would support God's work. A work for all must not rely on the giving of a few. That was God's plan to support His work and His servants. Now each person was to benefit, to be blessed, and of course they would invest back into that. Listen, don't you feed the horse you're riding on? Amen? God is working in my life. I want to feed that. It's, it's kind of a little bit of a selfish motivation, right? God, I need this to be strong for me. And I want it to be strong for others. Amen? Now, this is in the Old Testament. But we do see that emphasis kind of go further in the New Testament. A lot of what you see in Israel was almost like taxation. Because they were a nation in addition to being God's people. And so there were some requirements. There were some things that were very clearly spelled out as religious and civic duties. Almost literally like taxes. But now that we've had that standard, that principle of tithing given to us in the Old Covenant. Now, under grace, here's what I like to say. Wouldn't grace do more than law requires? Amen? It's really out of love. That we give to the Lord's work. Church family, I want to commend you. And I want to encourage you. First of all, I want to commend you. What, listen to me, this is for real. What a testimony over this last year. You don't know everything that goes on. 
there's a lot of challenges. There's a lot of decisions. There's a lot of stuff. There's a lot of things. Can I just tell you something? Can I just pull back a little bit of maybe what you wouldn't know about day in and day out? There was a moment there in that year where we could have used some of that government funding and it was available to us. And we prayed about it. And the Lord said, nope, I and my people will provide for my work. Wow. Praise His name. Seriously. God bless you. I've never been a part of a group of people that are so serious and real about it. I mean, for somebody to get in their car, I know some of you do, the t- I love text giving and online giving, but some of you don't. And you know what? Some, many of you weekly have gotten in your car and stopped by the building and given your offerings when we weren't meeting in person. Or sent them in the mail. If we're that serious about it, we might be serious. Amen? I'm serious. <laughs> That's a lot of serious. I'm serious. But I also want to encourage you to keep growing in it. God has put before us an amazing open door of opportunity. And as much as He provides, we got our foot on the gas. And you're going to see some things in the next few months that you're going to see the real fruit of the seeds that you've sown. And there's more to come with God, by God's grace. Amen? Listen to this. If giving faithfully is an indicator of how committed I am, how committed am I? We're, we're talking about as a whole, that's where we all are. But how about you and your family, specifically? If giving faithfully is an indicator of how committed I am, how committed am I? As you think about that, let me share this. Three reasons why these people and why so many of you have given faithfully. Number one, you want to be obedient. I share you last week, many of you have blown me away by saying, just like Kaylee, I'm nervous about getting up in front of a bunch of people. If I had to choose and I had an option, I'd say no. But if God says it, does God say it, Pastor Robbie? Does God say it, Pastor Jeff? If God says it, I guess I need to do it. That's, That's a good choice. That's a good path to get on. Amen? Secondly, because you're grateful. Why don't we give faithfully? I honestly, I know that many of you give out of obedience, but I honestly think that most of it is gratefulness. And that's a wonderful thing to witness. If there is one word that I've used for this church family, when people ask me, how's your church going? How would you describe your church family? If there is one word that I've given over the years, for 20 years, 21 years, it is grateful. There aren't many pastors probably that can say that. Because people are often not grateful. If we will keep a grateful spirit, God blesses people like that. And number three, because you want God's work to be strong in this world. Why do you get faithfully? Because I want to obey the Lord. Because I'm grateful for what He's done in my life. And because I want His work to be strong. Isn't that what they said? In verse 39, thus we will not... We will not neglect God's work. God forbid that His walls would be in tatters. There'd be smoke. That people in that culture were walking by making fun of them. A city without walls was a laughingstock. 
That means it was completely vulnerable. That was the opposite of it looking strong. They said, no more. We want God's work to be strong. Friends, if you love God, you will want His work to be strong in this world. And often that shows up in regards to money. It does in this passage. It shows up in other ways, as I said. That can be giving. That can be serving. That can be praying. That can be unity. Working hard to stay together. That could be pitching in. That could be personal responsibility. How does God want to use? Listen, listen. If you walk out of this service and there's somebody in the foyer standing by themselves, you ought to look over there and say, Dear Lord, I pray that nobody ever leaves this service wondering if anybody cares. And you just walk right over and introduce yourself. Amen? I'm serious. Y'all don't even know it. I can't tell you all the stories. You just don't have time. There are lives that have been changed that you don't even know about. And that person said, I'm going to go. And if somebody doesn't speak to me in the first five minutes, then I'm out of here. Now, listen, Christians don't be that way. okay? but we're going to give a lot of room for people who are searching and wondering if this is for real. Right. And we're going to say, God forbid that anybody ever leaves here not knowing that we care, because if we care, that tells them. God cares. Amen. It is so awesome to preach to a group of people that I believe are serious. And I pray if that's true. Don't I often say that? We'll see, right? We'll see. I'm not trying to be smart. I'm just saying this has been a lot of words. And y'all have given me words back. Amen. But if we were signing up our amens, we're not going to. But if we were signing our amens tonight, would it be that serious to you? I think so. But we'll see. Amen. We'll see. We'll see what God continues to do in us and through us as His Word teaches us. I pray that, you know, maybe some hard things we've talked about, but actually I pray that it's encouraging to you because these are some decisions you're making and maybe you haven't put your finger on them or maybe there's some things God's been speaking to you about and you haven't quite narrowed it down, but God's taking His Word right now and affirming to you, God bless you, this is what you're doing. You're on the right track. Others of us, the Lord might be saying, you know this is what I've been speaking to you about. And it's time for you to respond to me. I want to give us a second to do that. Would you bow your heads as we get ready to close here in just a moment? Maybe you're encouraged. Maybe you say, Lord, thank you. Thank you that over this last difficult year, you helped me to have this kind of focus and priority even before I heard this message. Thank you, Spirit of God, for working in my heart and giving me the ability to respond in the way that you wanted me to. Would you worship the Lord for that? Isn't it amazing when God shows you you've been doing something He would lead you to do and you didn't even know it? Isn't that awesome? Would you worship the Lord? Thank you, Lord. Thank you that I said yes to some promptings in my heart. And now I see we're from you. So encouraging. God bless you. God bless you. Some of you who are making God a real priority, you're trying to lead your kids. You're trying to teach them things. You're trying to understand so you can live it and so you can pass it on to them. 
God bless you. Would you ask the Lord, Lord, continue to teach me, continue to speak to me, continue to show me how to lead my home, how to lead my kids, how to be a good witness. Maybe there's some real specific decisions that need to be made. Maybe it is. Is God in control of my finances? Does He have the two, some of the most important things that really show I'm serious? My time and my money, which are really His time and His money that He's given to me. Maybe there's some sin in your life right now that you're not really being a witness to a world around you. You're not getting married. But maybe just that purity, that are you being that witness? Young person, I know it's tough. It's tough today in so many ways for all of us. But do your friends know that you love the Lord? Can they see? Not that you're a jerk or that you're hard to get along with because you're a Christian, but can they see that your life is different? That you have hope? That you have help? Because you follow Jesus. And I wonder if there's somebody here today that would say, I'm not for sure that I've done what Kaylee's done. I'm not for sure that I've given my life to the Lord. But I'm ready to do that right now. Would you just call out to him right now? What Krista did is she just called, as they were talking on the phone, she just led Kaylee in a prayer. Just, just something like this, dear Lord. I give my life to you. I believe you died for my sins and that you rose from the dead and that you can give me eternal life. I give my life to you right now. Help me to follow you. Father, we thank you that your word says whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be rescued from our sins. Thank you that someone may be here with us in person Maybe someone sitting on their couch at home right now, watching online, we rejoice with them over that decision. Lord, help us all to get serious about our relationship with you. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.